So we've been uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 for some time now. We begin reading in verse 11 this morning through verse 17. Put on the whole armor of God that you stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, as we pause these moments, we want to bring before you the request that's been made on behalf of Ms. Hurst and her family. And Father, I know that surely there are loved ones that are grieving and concerned for her well-being during these days, even as our sisters expressed. And Lord, we know that you are the God who knows all things and control of all things, and we know that you worketh all things according to your purpose and your will. And we ask that you might be gracious and merciful in this situation and bring health, restore health and healing, Father, according to your will. And in all things, Lord, we desire most that your glory be revealed and that even in times of desperation and great desire, you have taught us and commanded us that we are to submit ourselves unto you so we Ask these things, Lord, bearing uh, each other's burdens, but also we must submit ourselves in saying unto you, may your will be done, and may your grace abound. Father, as we pause these moments in opening the Word of God, we ask that you might give us discernment of your Spirit. May we have clarity of thought and be able to proclaim the truth of your Word as it has been given to us in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Father, may we have hearts to receive as, and ears to hear and eyes to behold the wonderful truth that is before us this morning of our sufficient Savior. And Lord, may we not be distracted, but may our attention be wholly given to you as it is so rightfully deserved. And may we submit ourselves to the truth of your word as we walk with you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the grace that is ours in our Savior. And we pray this morning now, Father, that the very words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our God. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. I've mentioned to you over the past several weeks as we have been looking into Ephesians 6, specifically verses 10 and following up to verse 17 at this point, that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are engaged in a spiritual war which we cannot avoid. Uh, this is not a battle that we have to go find. We don't have to search and find out where we're supposed to fight or stand, what have you. But this is something which we face on a daily basis. I've spent much time explaining that. I want to briefly review that again and just give you some references to consider concerning this matter. But two fronts of attack that we face this battle on regularly. The first is that there are attacks from within. In James chapter 1, 13 through 15, James speaks about a man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So this is something that's taking place within us, a sinful nature. And remember, you have a sinful nature, you have a physical body, and then you have the Spirit of God living within you if you are a believer. So don't confuse the sinful nature with the physical body. Because again, when you look at Galatians chapter 5, 16 and 17... 
Paul is explaining how that the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. They are contrary the one to the other. And when Paul says, when he, the terminology used there, the flesh lusteth against the spirit, what is being stated is that the sinful fleshly nature desires to take control or claim right to the physical body in which it exists, to which it has no rightful claim. So the sinful flesh wants to control your body, but Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, of course, that we are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. And so we are, we've been purchased, and our bodies don't belong to us, they belong to God. Our spirit is God's spirit, not our spirit. And so Paul is saying we are to be submissive to the Lord, we are to recognize that there is a constant conflict within us taking place. Again, Romans 7, Paul demonstrates that so well. It's somewhat confusing language when you read through it because Paul goes through the list of the things that I would, I do not, the things that I would do, I, or the things that I, I don't do, or things I, would, I want to do. And he's talking about that constant conflict that is present between the members of his flesh and the members uh, or, the, or the Spirit of God dwelling within him, that inward man. And so Paul makes it very clear there's a constant conflict. Look, and you don't have to awake every morning and, and start wondering, where can I find the flesh present today so I can fight against it? No, it's present, and it's going to rear up against your, the Spirit of God within you on a regular, daily basis. So this is a conflict that we face all the time. It's not something we seek out, it's there. Then second, there are attacks from without. So this is the second front by which we are attacked regularly. Ephesians 6, 11, and 12, we've read these this morning. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Paul's saying this is not a physical warfare going on, but it is spiritual in nature and there's attack against the gospel. And remember this, I said this to you a few weeks back, that we must recognize that these attacks that come from without, we take these things so personally when we really shouldn't. We need to recognize the only reason there's an attack taking place if we are standing in Christ and in righteousness and the truth of God and the gospel of Jesus is because the world hates Jesus. It always has, it always will. And if you are in Christ, then the world is going to hate Christ in you. And so we recognize that these really aren't personal attacks, so we seem to take them that way, and hence we allow the flesh to sometimes rise up in these occasions. The reality remains that this is a, an attack from without, and the attack against, is against the gospel. The attack is against the Lord Jesus Christ. The attack is against God's order and submission to the lordship of the Lord Jesus. And so this is the attack. And we take it personally, and it does come in a personal manner without question. But it's not a personal attack. It's against the gospel. It's against Christ. And so we can stand firm in the truth of the gospel nonetheless. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 uh, Peter warns that, that Satan is a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. Again, the attacks from without against the church. In, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus said that he told Peter, you are Peter, uh, and upon this rock, upon myself, I am the rock of ages, I will build my church. And then he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so, again, this is showing us the victory's already been provided in Christ. So within this portion of Ephesians chapter 6, Paul commands the believers at the church of Ephesus to stand. And we looked at this for the last couple of weeks. We have dealt with this and, and, and addressed this matter. And the phrase to stand, it, grammatically, it, it's what's referred to as an infinitive or a verbal noun. And so it, carries, it, it, it contains the, the characteristics of both a verb and a noun, and yet it's neither. And when Paul says, have all to stand, there is something being implied here that we must understand. First of all, there is a position which has already been granted us, as Paul so clearly points out in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. Remember, chapter one through, chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians is all about you are in Christ. Over and over, Paul says, in Him, in the beloved. And, and he's showing us that we are in 
in Christ himself. And this is the position. Chapters 4 through 6, as Paul does throughout his epistles often, are practical in nature, that portion of it. But Paul is explaining the foundation is the position we've been given. Now, this is you are in Christ and you must understand this truth for chapters 4 through 6 to be understood properly. And that is that now... I am in Christ, chapters 1 through 3. Christ is in me, chapters 4 through 6. This is what it looks like for Christ to dwell in you as you are resting in Him. And so when Paul says to stand, he is saying this is a position, the noun aspect of of the infinitive. This is a position that's been granted. But then the verb aspect of the infinitive is that we are to maintain that position. We're not gaining ground. We're not earning ground. We are just simply told to stand in the position that has already been granted us in Jesus Christ. And let me say this as well, I've said this this study thus far, that we are not fighting a, a battle or war to gain a victory. We are fighting from the, or we're standing in the position of victory. And again, the reason that Paul lists as he does the pieces of armor in Ephesians 6, which you can find as well, he mentions in Romans chapter 12, I believe we'll read in a moment, where 12 or 13, where Paul says that we are to put on the armor of light, and then he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the armor of light and which is the actual pieces of armor here. So again, I want to warn you not to view these verses and the pieces of armor as though this is some addition to Jesus that we have. No, this is Jesus. He all of this. God has made him this unto us. And so when we see that, that the, the, the armor that's been provided, uh, Paul is explaining that this armor is given to us not so we can gain some victory, But God has given us this armor that we might clothe ourselves daily, appropriate the provision of the position we have in Christ so that we might experience or realize on a daily basis the victory which has already been given us in Christ. So we're not gaining a victory here. We're not winning a victory. We're not even fighting a fight in that respect. We are simply standing in the truth of God's provision, which therefore will remind us constantly of the victory that's already been given us in Christ. And so it's imperative that we recognize these truths as we enter into these verses of our study as we have over the past several weeks as well. So Paul uses this infinitive to stand, to call the believers in Ephesus to maintain the position they've been provided in Jesus Christ by God the Father. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The command to put on, again, means to dress or to clothe, literally. So God has provided the armor that we might daily clothe ourselves in the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I would say to you that to clothe or to appropriate this provision as a believer in Jesus Christ on a daily uh, basis should be just as normal of a practice as one getting up in the morning and dressing themselves physically. That's the, that's the analogy given here, to put on, to clothe on a regular basis. Again, uh, a warning here to be heard that, God is not saying to our Paul is not saying to us, God has given us this closet of, of, of armor. God has given us this, this cache of armor over here. And there may be a time in your life where you're in need to pull out the helmet of salvation or the, the, the shield of faith. No, Paul is saying, put on. On a daily basis, recognize your dependency upon Jesus Christ as God's provision. Because the fact of the matter, again, is this. The moment we begin to attempt to fight A spiritual battle is the moment we realize how desperately we will fail. But every moment that we are resting in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, we are experiencing victory that's already been won on our behalf, that's been provided us by God. So he says here to put on, to dress or to clothe. 
God has provided the armor that we might daily clothe ourselves in the victory of our Lord Jesus. In Romans, we have previously discovered, again, Romans 13, that Paul explains that to put on the armor is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 13, 12. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in riding and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but, notice what he says in verse 14, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So again, the armor is not in addition to God's provision of Jesus, but this armor is God's provision as it is given in Jesus Christ. In this chapter of this epistle to the Ephesian believers, Paul expressed the details of this armor. Again, verse 13 we read, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So within this text, Paul commands that we maintain the position God has given by describing God's provision of the armor in which we stand. First of all, notice he says we stand in truth. Of course, verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with the truth. Second, we stand in righteousness, verse 14, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Third, we stand in the gospel, the good news of God's peace, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, verse 15. Then we stand in faith, verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Then we stand in salvation, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. And then, verse 17, also we stand upon or on the word of God and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And Paul begins with the command that we are to stand supported in truth, because that's what this means, then concludes the list of armor, as we've observed already, with the sword of the Spirit, defining it as the Word of God, which of course is truth. So all the pieces of armor, as described and detailed by Paul in Ephesians 6, it begins with truth, and it ends with truth, and everything is sandwiched by truth. And there's a reason that this is so. We are commanded, first and foremost, stand in truth, Paul says. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Truth is the very foundation upon which we stand. I said to you last week, truth trumps everything. And truth is this foundation, and without truth, notice with me, there is no true righteousness. Without truth, there is no true gospel. Without truth, there is no true faith. Without truth, there is no true salvation. So when Paul mentions truth first and the Word of God is truth last, He is reminding us this is the very foundation and the basis upon which we stand. And might I remind you that Jesus Christ himself declared to be the personification of truth. In John 14, 6, was it not Christ who said, I am the way, the truth. A definite article there. Not truth, not a truth. I am the truth and the life. And so Christ is declaring himself to be the absolute truth, the personified truth of God. And so here we find that without Christ, without truth, there is no righteousness, there is no gospel, there is no faith, and there is no salvation. Here you begin to really see how Paul is showing us that these pieces of armor are not in addition to Jesus Christ. These pieces of armor are an explanation of God's provision for us in Jesus Christ. So you can't have this armor without Christ, and if you have Christ, you've been provided the armor because God has granted this to us. 
Paul's statement, loins gird or girded, means to be ready or prepared. So we are commanded to stand and maintain the position God has provided us in Jesus, who is the very person of truth. And truth, which is to say Jesus, of course, is absolute and unchanging. So truth, in reality, is the support for all the armor which we are provided, for it is truth which connects all the armor. Isn't it interesting, too, in a day in which we live, that we've come to a point in our society and in culture in which the one thing that is absolutely attacked is truth, obviously. And, and you say, oh, wait, but people talk about truth, and they talk about, quote-unquote, their truth. What does that even mean? And they claim that there are no absolutes. You know, and, and it's funny because, again, as it's been stated, that uh, those who claim that there is no absolute truth are, only cl- are claiming in reality there's only one absolute truth, and that is the absolute that there is not absolute truth. <laughs> So the fact of the matter is, to make a claim that there is no absolute truth is to state an absolute statement that there is no absolute truth, which is foolish. And today we live in a society in which people say, oh, it's, it's your truth. No, truth is truth, and truth is attacked, but without truth, all you have are lies and shaky, unstable ground, no foundation. And so Paul begins with truth, and again, there's, no, there's a reason that he does so. It should not seem strange to us even that he does so in reality. And even, even to mention this, that Paul, let me mention that Paul does not begin with salvation. You say, oh, but salvation is the beginning, of, it's our new birth. Yeah, but hear me, without truth, there is no genuine, true salvation. So truth is paramount. And again, people talk about 1 Corinthians 13, totally removing it from the entirety of its context, and then just talk about love, 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 and love is greater than everything else. No, without truth, you do not have true love. And so truth is paramount. Truth is absolute. Truth is foundational. And truth is unchanging. And so it's imperative that we, that we accept or, or realize and acknowledge the, this reality. So this morning we progress within Paul's detail concerning the list of the armor that God has provided us in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ by the second command that Paul gives. And we are commanded to, to stand in righteousness. Look again at verse 14 with me. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. It could also be said, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. We're having it because we are in Christ, but we are putting this on. As with Paul's, in other words, we're appropriating the provision. As with Paul's command to stand in truth, this command as well to put on the breastplate of righteousness finds its roots within other scripture. And might I also add this, even the way it's termed in in the King James translation, the fact that it says, having on the breastplate of righteousness, if you are in truth, then you are appropriating truth the righteousness of Christ. You are standing in his righteousness. So they really go hand in hand here, obviously, as they all do. And so we see here the instruction given by Paul is taught consistently throughout the scriptures that we are to have or put on the breastplate of righteousness. And and again, this is not a new command. Ephesians 6 is not the first time we find such, such language used in God's word. But Paul is, in reality, exegeting or expounding Old Testament truth within this epistle as he does within his other epistles. In Isaiah 59, the prophet speaks of God's ability to deliver or save contrasted with the people's wickedness and hopeless condition apart from the Lord and His salvation. Isaiah declares the issue is not that God is not able to save, but the issue is that the people are separated from God because of their wickedness. So the problem is not God's unable or unable to do this. The problem is you are wicked. That's the issue. Isaiah 59, 1-3, we read, Behold, hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, 
and your sins have hid his face from you that ye, he will not hear. Now he's talking, of course, to Israel, and he's saying to the, to the nation of Israel, uh, God's, God's selected, chosen out people throughout the Old Testament, and he's saying to them that, that the issue here is not that God's not able to deliver you. The issue is not that God cannot hear. It's that God, that your iniquities have separated you. You, you are in sin and in wickedness, and because of this, God will not hear, and God has not delivered up to this point. But he's leading us up to a great truth here. In verse 12 of chapter 59 as well, a few verses later, Isaiah continues his discourse concerning the iniquities of the people. Verse 12 of Isaiah 59. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, and judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth. Now let me explain what this means. It doesn't mean truth is failing. What it means is truth is lacking. Truth is missing. Truth is not present. And he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. So here again, our transgressions are before you, God. Our iniquities are before you. We are separated from you. And then in verses 16 and 17, continuing to read in Isaiah chapter 59, we discover that God provides salvation through the promised Redeemer who is righteous and whose righteousness is a breastplate. Isaiah 59, 16 and 17. And he saw that there was no man, God saw there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Intercessor, notice the terminology used here. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Matthew Henry commented concerning this passage, the breastplate secures the vitals, shelters the heart, the righteousness of Christ imputed to us is our breastplate against the arrows of divine wrath, as mentioned here in Isaiah 59. The righteousness of Christ implanted us in us is our breastplate to fortify the heart against the attacks which Satan makes against us. So here Paul in Ephesians 6 is actually teaching Isaiah 59 and he's explaining it to us. Notice when he says there was no man, there was no intercessor, but God saves. Well, how does God save? The Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness. He is righteous and he puts on a breastplate of righteousness and now we, and a helmet of salvation. And now when you come to Ephesians chapter 6, Paul mentions both the breastplate of righteousness and he also mentions salvation. So is he saying that these are things that we're just supposed to take and, and this is an addition to Jesus? No, as Isaiah 59 is showing us and Paul's explaining this to us, prophesying in Isaiah, explaining in Ephesians 6, it is Christ who is this righteousness. It is Christ who is this salvation. Men are wicked and there's not one good man, but Christ has been provided and that is what Paul is showing us here. In his epistle to the Thessalonian believers, Paul explained that as children of light, God has provided us the breastplate of faith and love, which delivers us from his wrath by his salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5, 7 through 10. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. 
But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation, the confidence of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. So from both Isaiah's prophecy, along with the teaching in Paul's epistles, we understand that it is Jesus and his righteousness which is the breastplate of righteousness. Again, not an addition to Jesus. I'm saying to you that much too often people view or misrepresent and, and falsely teach this passage of Scripture as though this is some addition to Jesus that we're supposed to be clinging to. Listen, if I can say one thing and you hear nothing else, let me say this and please hear and embrace this truth. Cling to Jesus Christ alone. Nothing else. And, and He is our salvation. He is holding us. Why would we not embrace Him? And so Paul is not saying, oh, you need Jesus plus, by the way. That would absolutely teach, go totally against his teaching in the book of Galatians as we have so, so seen in much detail through our studies of Galatians. And so we know that's not Jesus plus, it's Jesus alone. And Isaiah, Paul is exegeting Isaiah to teach us this truth here in Ephesians 6. As Jesus is righteous, and as Jesus is clothed in the very righteousness of the Father, so also when we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, we too are clothed in His righteousness. Here's what Paul said in Romans 13, put on the armor of light. And just a verse or two later, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not put on the armor of light and put on Jesus. No, putting on Jesus is putting on the armor. And here's what you must recognize. If you are standing in the truth of the position God has given you in Jesus, as Paul so clearly detailed in chapters 1 through 3 of this epistle, then guess what? You are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Realize that. Recognize that. That's why we are to grow in the knowledge and faith of Christ, because the more we see Him for who He has declared Himself to be, the more confident we are in who He is and the more joyful we are in realizing the victory that He has provided, and that it's not left up to us to do our best to try to fight some enemy that would defeat us every time. We are simply to stand in the victory that's already been given in the very Son of God on our behalf. To put on the breastplate of righteousness is to put on the Lord Jesus, which is to say to put on the breastplate of righteousness is to clothe oneself in the righteousness of Jesus as he's provided uh, Christ as his provision on our behalf. Since the breastplate is known to be a protective covering for the chest, the heart, and vital organs amid a battle or fight or conflict, and Isaiah identified righteousness as the breastplate, and Paul refers to this protection as the breastplate of righteousness, we conclude the following. God has provided his righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, as the covering and protection for us. Our very hearts, the innermost part of our being, not talking about the muscle that pumps blood through your body, but our minds, if you will, the most inner part of our being is covered in and covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God has imputed unto us His righteousness in His Son, Jesus. I need protection there is a battle that takes place within me. There's a battle, a conflict that comes to me. And I need to be guarded because I have a mind, I have a heart, 
And you know what? My heart left to itself is desperately wicked. My heart left to itself will always choose wickedness and evil. Left to itself. So I need a protection. And this isn't something, it's, it's, listen, it's not just I take a verse from Scripture and try to hold it up to guard me. No. When I realize the truth of Scripture, that my protection, God's provision, is the very righteousness of Jesus Christ, which clothes me, which covers me, which indwells me because Christ himself indwells me. What greater protection could we have than that of Christ? The book of Proverbs declares this, Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. What is he saying? Guard your heart. That's what it means, protect. The word keep means protect and guard. Protect and guard your heart. Not to my, again, the muscle that pumps blood through your body, but it's talking about the mind, the, the, the innermost part of your being. He says, protect, guard your heart, for out of it, out of the heart, flow all of the issues of life. Do you see what Paul's saying? Our heart, from which all matters of life flow, is covered by and in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. For it's His righteousness which now has been imputed and accounted to my, credited to my account. And because of I am guarded and protected in His righteousness. That not only means for the daily fight, though that is true, for the daily battles that come, but this is an eternal matter. For who could stand before God and, and declare any good thing they had done? Who could stand before God and say, but, but, but Father, you know I did my best to be faithful, but Father, you know I tried to stay away from this. Who could do such a thing? But here's the beauty of it. We don't have to. For we have an intercessor. As Isaiah prophesied, the people are wicked. We are in transgressions. Where's the intercessor? Where's the man? But God has saved, and the one in whom he saves is righteousness, and he is the breastplate of righteousness, and Christ is that righteousness of God in whom we dwell and who dwells in us. Luke 6.45, Jesus said, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And again, anytime you find good here, you need to understand it means godly. Because man is not good and he does no good. Scripture teaches us that. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, his mouth speaketh. So from these verses, we are told it is from the heart that the very life of man flows. And this further explains the importance for our heart, our hearts, to be clothed, immersed in, covered by, and filled with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So Paul says that we are to stand. And having an all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. So stand in God's truth and the truth of the position and provision of Jesus Christ and the position we have in Him and having on the breastplate of Righteousness. So we can rejoice with the prophet Isaiah because in, in Isaiah 61, just two chapters later from what the passage we previously read, we understand the truth Isaiah spoke even greater than Isaiah himself could have possibly understood this truth in that Jesus Christ has been revealed and his spirit dwells within us. Isaiah 61.10, listen to what Isaiah says. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. So two chapters later, after Isaiah 59, 
Isaiah now says, oh, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Why? Because He hath clothed me in the garments of salvation. He hath clothed me in His righteousness. Well, we understand that even greater than Isaiah could have possibly understood that, and here's why. Because Christ has been revealed in the fullness of time, and the Holy Spirit of God dwells within us. So now it is for us to appropriate the provision, meaning live in the truth, understand the truth, embrace the truth, live in the truth, stand in the truth, be prepared for the battles that face you in the truth, that God has imputed His very righteousness unto us in Jesus Christ. How do we appropriate that? By resting in the sufficiency of His provision. I am not righteous, but Christ is. And I am not fighting this battle. Christ has already declared victory in this war. So I am just simply to stand, understand the position, and maintain the position that God has granted me in Jesus Christ. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. I, I say this with Isaiah. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with a robe of righteousness. I rejoice in the Lord, for He has clothed me in His salvation. He has covered me in His righteousness. He has immersed me in His righteousness. For I am in Christ, and because I am in Christ... God has given me that position. Christ is in me. This is our victory. It's not do a better job out there. I could rally you today and say, hey, are you facing sin this week? Well, you need to stand up and you need to just resist sin. Here's what I'm telling you. Embrace Christ. Live in His righteousness. Allow His righteousness to live through you. There is no greater provision, there is no greater protection than the all-sufficient Savior, Jesus Christ.